Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., or 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. I pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. May God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts. Bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. About a month or so ago, my family and I adopted a new dog. His name is Gus. Gus is a golden retriever and was rescued after spending an unknown, although probably significant amount of time on the streets somewhere along the Gulf Coast. Gus is a mess. When he was rescued, he had the mange, several types of worms. Many of his teeth have been worn down to nubs. He has multiple bald spots. Something is wrong with his neck, which suggests he was chained for some time. And his vocal cords are permanently damaged, so he can no longer bark, but all he can manage is a proud but very sad wheeze. But thanks to the good folks at Tired Dog Rescue, a wonderful foster family, and an excellent vet, he's one of us. But what amazes me about Gus isn't his resilience or his remarkable recovery, but his capacity to love. He has endured more than I can imagine, and no one would blame him for turning out to be an ornery old cuss. However, when one of us comes home, his tail becomes this violent thing that slaps against the side of the wall louder than he could ever bark. And he puts his head on your thigh and he looks up at you with these big brown eyes that just say, pet me. He is irresistible. And then he takes a nap. (laughs) I've needed a lot of canine therapy lately. Reading the newspaper or scanning social media borders masochism. One headline read, A Country Drowning in Grief. And a column yesterday was titled, A Week from Hell. From warnings of economic cataclysm, the rhetoric of this unprecedented political season, to increased frequency of tragic violence. Our world is profoundly frightening. Almost every person I met with this week began our conversation with the question, what is wrong? And the best answer I could ever come up with was, I don't know. I don't know. But perhaps, perhaps we can look to today's gospel. For this evening, this morning, we hear one of the greatest hits of the scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
The Good Samaritan is possibly one of the best known stories in Scripture outside of the Christmas and Easter stories. And all of us are familiar with the characters and the parable. But yet, do we truly grasp all of its meaning? For like so much of Jesus' teachings, it has many, many layers. On one level, we hear a good and valuable reminder of the importance of acts of kindness. This unidentified man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is beset by robbers, and he is left for dead on the side of the road. And three people pass by, all with the capacity to help him. But only the third, the Samaritan, is moved with pity. And he goes to him, and he bandages his wounds, and he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to an inn, and pays the innkeeper in advance to take care of him. And it should be noted that the word, uh, the Greek word translated as moved with pity is that wonderful Greek word, splegnon, which we talked about about a month or so ago, that not only means to be compassionate, but compassion that comes from our very core, our very being, our very soul, our very guts. Like Jesus did in that story of healing so many uh, a month or so ago from the deepest depths of himself, the Samaritan is moved by another's plight and does something about it. I am reminded of the words of Fred Rogers, who said in the face of tragic events, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And we are called to be one of those helpers, not to make the same choices as a priest or the Levite, but instead be moved and do something about it when we see someone in need or that is broken. And that being said, while many of us, myself included, fail to heed that important basic lesson, I think there is another lesson, a much more important lesson that we can learn from this gospel. Rob Bell, the popular postmodern preacher, wrote about this parable. You can make it about roadside assistance, which is fine and maybe even helpful. But Jesus is calling us to something way bigger and higher and deeper and transcendent. The parable begins with a lawyer. And I will resist from making any disparaging lawyer remarks. The lawyer asks the question, who is my neighbor? And after Jesus tells the story, the answer is the one who showed him mercy, a.k.a. the Samaritan. But this should be noted that in that last sentence in the parable, the lawyer doesn't actually say the word Samaritan. He only says begrudgingly, the one who showed him mercy. That is because people in first century Palestine couldn't even butter, bear to utter the name Samaritan. Samaritans were among the most hated minorities in Jesus' time. Children were taught at a young age, to hate. Not avoid, not exclude, but to hate. 
Samaritans. Because of their unorthodox form of Judaism and their Assyrian ancestry, many believe that just walking through Samaritan land would make them unclean. Samaritans were publicly cursed in the temple. They could not serve as witnesses in the court. And they could not convert to other forms of Judaism. And they were considered inescapably damned to hell. A Samaritan was the lowest of the low. And so for Jesus to imply that a Samaritan was our neighbor was incredibly radical, if not patently insane, to the first century ear. For us today, we might as well say that our neighbor is those people. All of us, myself certainly included, have those people. And only our conscience knows who they are. Those that we avoid, those that we exclude, those that we revile at the very core of our being, so much so that we carry our hate like a badge of honor and dress it up in moralistic platitudes. We might as well say those people, those people are our neighbor. And Jesus is telling us this morning to love those neighbors as ourselves. But we, we were made to love. Our core, our guts, our very being is love. Not hate, not suspicion, not our SEC alliance, although that's pretty close. But the center of our being is love. As it says in the book of Genesis, we were made in the image of God and God is love and God loves us more than we can imagine. So not only are we called to love, we are made to love. And we are made to love one another. We can't afford to exclude or hate or fear anyone at this time. We are facing so many issues And we cannot meet the challenge of solving those issues if we are divided. We need our neighbors. And despite all that we have endured as a society, as a globe, we can't stop loving. We must be, for all intents and purposes, more like Gus. If we take our lead from that furry, beset dude and just love each other, despite our increasingly bruised souls, perhaps that, perhaps that love can reverse the tide of fear and anger. One columnist I read wrote this. I know well that when people speak of love and empathy and honor in the face of violence, it can feel like meeting hard power with soft. Like there is inherent weakness in an approach that leans so heavily on things so ephemeral and even cliched. But the higher calling is the belief in the ultimate moral justice and the inevitable victory of righteousness over wrong. When we all can see clearly that the ultimate goal is harmony and not hate, we have a chance to see our way forward. But we all need to start here and now by doing one simple thing, seeing every person 
as fully human, deserving every day to make it home to the people he loves. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Our neighbor is everyone, and everyone is beloved. Amen.